Hey friends, Cable here, and this week's podcast is proudly brought to you by my friends over at Kent Cartridge. Uh, I've got a man, I've got a lot of history with this brand, going back to my college days when I was waiting tables just to fund my duck hunting addiction. That's when I first discovered Kent, and uh, I'd mess around with other brands, cheaper brands, and literally watch the pellets bounce off of greenheads. Uh, I found Kent, and I fell in love. And nothing's changed over the last 20 years except for, well, I'd say Fast Steel 2.0 is even better than the original. And Kent offers a premium shell at a sub-premium price. Check it out. It's Fast Steel 2.0. You can find it at your local retailer. Howdy, everybody. This week's podcast also brought to you by Spartan Forge. Born in war, Spartan Forge was conceived while targeting terrorists Think about that. Targeting bad guys during deployments in support of the global war on terror. We can also use this technology because of its similarities to track mature bucks. Now it's time to get this analysis into your hands. It's military-based intelligence, next-generation mapping. I absolutely love it. And I love the people behind Spartan Forge. They're like me. Second Amendment till the day we die. No exceptions. America first. Spartan Forge. Check it out by downloading the app today. 21 days on the road. Good morning, good morning, Cable Smith. Welcome everybody into episode 652 of SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Thank you so much for being here today. It's a pleasure, a treat, an honor to be here talking hunting, fishing, the great outdoors, and all that implies with you. So do appreciate each and every one of you. Hope you're having a wonderful fall. Things are really getting going. Uh, I went out west to the Texas Panhandle last week and put the smack down on some cranes uh, with my friends from Kent Cartridge, and I think you'll hear all about that hunt on next week's show. Um, yeah, good times. Then went straight to the Deerleys, uh, the one that happens to be out that way in Benjamin, and shot a pig, coyote, uh, didn't see that mature buck that I was after, but he's there. I have pictures of him. He's a night walker. Likes to show up about 3.30 in the morning. But the rut is heating up. Starting to see other bucks during the day. Hopefully, uh, he'll make he'll make a poor decision. Because <laughs> uh, I'll be back out there this week as well. Uh, so yeah, so much going on. I think we're going to work in. Uh, Henry and I are headed to the lease after today's broadcast. And uh, we're taking the duck decoys and the dog will be JoJo's first hunt. So I'm super excited about that. Uh, man, it's the best time of year. Uh, what are we doing today? Let me tell you, you know what to do by now. Pull up that stool a little closer to the old campfire. Pour yourself another cup of Black Rifle coffee out of Granddaddy's beat up old Stanley Thermos because we are ready to rock and roll. And to get things going, we'll be joined by Mike Leonard 
of the American Sport Fishing Association. It's an interesting conundrum when conservation and the economy and an entire industry converge. And that's what's happening with the species of whales. It's called the right whale up and down the Atlantic seaboard. It's not doing very well. And the prognosis doesn't look good. So can you shut down the entire fishing industry up and down the Atlantic seaboard for this one whale species? There's got to be a better way, right? Because as conservationists, we care about all species, but we have to be realistic in our approach to management. So yeah, it's, it's dicey. And it's sometimes we have to say tough things that don't really sound so great when they come out of your mouth. We got to live in reality, folks. So, uh, yeah, we're going to talk about some legislation that's been introduced that could effectively really impact the the fishing community and industry on an entire coast of the United States. Uh, So interesting stuff to get into with Mike. Then uh, at the bottom of the hour, we'll spend some time hunting free-range scimitar horned oryx maybe mix in some waterfowl, and who knows what else. Of course, we're going to talk guns. Uh, When Mossberg's Linda Powell makes her return to the show, uh, always enjoy catching up with Linda, and she's been up to her old tricks. We'll find out where all she's traveled so far this season and what other hunts she has on the books. Uh, So looking forward to catching up with her. That's what we're going to do today. Going to be a damn good show. Guarantee you that. You know, it's not all doom and gloom. I've heard people saying oh well we didn't we didn't have the red wave we were expecting well let me walk you back from the ledge because two weeks ago we didn't have the house horse in it and now we have the house so i don't want to hear all this doom and gloom we are stronger today than we were uh districts that traditionally were blue have completely flipped and so there's reason to be optimistic and uh and it's a good thing for hunting and for conservation that there's no doubt. I mean, we've only lost under Biden and uh, Secretary of Interior Deb Haaland, who has been an absolute nightmare ever since she's ever since her appointment. And she wouldn't commit to a no net loss policy. That's resulted in millions of acres closed to hunting and uh, lead shot bans on certain refuges. And they're trust me, their goal is to put that lead shot ban everywhere. That's the end game. It's just like anything else. You say, oh, okay, well, that's not true. Then why are they doing it? And do you, and do you honestly think they're going to stop? <laughs> no, no chance in hell. Uh, so it's a good day, friends. And, uh, and the checks and balances that our governmental system affords us is alive and well. Oh, oh, and, and for Texans, uh, we told Beto, a.k.a. Robert Francis, no, thank you, for the third time. So get your ass out of here, Beto. Uh, we're tired of it. And you, you got your ass kicked, to be frank. It wasn't even close. <laughs> so uh, I was proud of Texans. And, and also, uh, Jay Kleberg got destroyed by Don Buckingham in the battle for land commissioner. So that was huge, too. From a, from a hunting 
and uh, economy standpoint for Texans. So good job, guys. Proud of y'all. Um, okay, let's knock out a quick giveaway. How about a Mossberg shirt, cap, water bottle, koozie, and shotgun sleeve? So uh, an awesome prize pack from our good friends at Mossberg. Just email the word Mossberg, that's Mossberg, to Lone Star Outdoors Show at gmail.com, and you are entered into today's giveaway. We'll be right back with Mike Leonard of the American Sport Fishing Association on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. We live in crazy times when it comes to censorship on social media. And if you're a gun owner and a hunter, and if you're proud of those things and you post about those things, then you're already on the blacklist. You're getting censored. You might not even know it. Take it from me. I had my Instagram page deleted for an entire month for no reason last year. Mm Mm-hmm. Guess what? That kind of stuff doesn't happen over at Go Wild. It's a community of people who love to hunt, fish, and cook their wild game. I also love guns. If you want to be a part of that kind of place where you're not getting censored, where they actually promote posts with that kind of content, just go to download Go Wild. It's a free app. I absolutely love it. You'll see me there posting every day. So come on, join the conversation at Go Wild. I'm Chris Letzinger, online sales manager at Cinnamon Creek Ranch here, reminding you we're not your typical archery club. We're a -a one-of-a-kind archery facility with indoor and outdoor ranges, a full pro shop, and six different 3D courses. Cinnamon Creek was designed by hunters for hunters. Located in Roanoke, Texas, we have over 200 3D targets to hone your archery skills. Call 817-439-8998 or visit us at cinnamoncreekranch.com to visit our new online store. That's cinnamoncreekranch.com. Let's face it, guys. We all would love to own land, right? But they're not making any more of it. However, there's a solution. Lone Star Ag Credit has been helping its borrowers Finance their own piece of paradise for over 100 years. Whether you want it for recreating, ranching, fishing, hunting, or just to get the hell out of Dodge for the weekend, visit Lone Star Ag Credit today to start making that dream a reality. Little Band of Heathens bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. I'm Cable Smith. Thanks for being here today as uh, we are about to dive into our next topic. And we'll do so with ASA, that's the American Sport Fishing Association's uh, Vice President of Government Affairs, Mike Leonard. But first, this segment proudly brought to you by Mossberg Firearms and the MC2SC 9mm concealed carry pistol. Well, you don't it doesn't have to be concealed. You can wear it on your belt, whatever. But uh everyday carry, absolutely love mine. And if you go back over a hundred years, a lot of people don't know this because Mossberg is known for their long guns, uh, rifles and shotguns, but the first gun that they ever manufactured was actually a pistol. Uh, so interesting uh, side note for you there. 
Uh, but you can find the MC2SC right there at Mossberg.com. Mossberg Firearms, America's oldest family-owned firearm manufacturer. Okay, well, let's bring him on right now. Mike Leonard of the ASA. Thanks for being here, man. Uh, interesting stuff to get into today. Yeah, happy to be on. Thanks for reaching out. Looking forward to the discussion. Yeah, my pleasure. Uh, so, first of all, what is the American Sport Fishing Association? What is y'all's function? Yeah, so we're not necessarily a household name in the sport fishing community. Um, we are the trade association that represents the recreational fishing industry. So most of our members are manufacturers of rods, reels, line lures, apparel, uh, you name it, anything that you might buy in the act of fishing. Um, we generally represent the folks that make that. So, you know, Shimano, Daiwa, uh, uh -huh. Rapala, you name it. Um, same on the retail side, um, wholesalers. Again, pretty much anyone in the business of recreational fishing. So we have several functions, the biggest of which is our trade show, ICAST, um, world's largest fishing tackle trade show. I've been. And we, yeah. And then uh, we also is it affairs. still in Orlando? It is for the foreseeable future. Been there the past several years. Um, yeah. We had a little hitch there in 2020, but picked it back up ever since. Yeah. Oh, everybody did. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but yeah, I, I went, gosh, it's probably been seven or eight years ago. It was Quite the show. Yeah. Uh, yeah, we were in Orlando then, right? Because we did Vegas for a couple of years. Yeah, this is Orlando. So, okay, what is the history of the organization? How long have you guys been around? Uh, we're actually getting ready to celebrate our 90th year. Uh, oh. So we've been around for a good while. Now we've had a few different iterations of our name. We've been ASA since I think the, the mid-90s. Uh, we were the American Fishing Tackle Manufacturers Association before then. Um, but yeah, we've been, been around for a good long while. Where are y'all based out of? We're based in Alexandria, Virginia. I'm actually looking on, on the Potomac River, and if I go one office over, I can see the capital. So we look up the cap, we look up the Potomac River towards DC. Right on. And so I'm imagine imagine that you certainly enjoy fishing, but you told me off there that you were in a tree stand the other day. So, and there's some duck, some wooden carved duck decoys behind you. So, you yeah, the, the duck decoys were, um, I think, the wrong gift we got or uh, uh, award we got. That we're supposed to go to Ducks Unlimited. But, uh, we ended up getting it anyway. But um, but yeah, no, I, I do uh, fish, grew up fishing. I'm, I guess, an adult onset hunter. I got into it a couple of years ago. And um, actually, I probably shouldn't say this. I've gotten to where I enjoy hunting a little bit more than fishing because I don't work on hunting issues. When I'm uh -huh. fishing, I can't get like the fisheries policy stuff out of my head. When I'm hunting, it's just, it's just me in the woods um, yeah. without any of the baggage that comes with it. I grew up fishing. My dad loves bass fishing, which is king in Texas. Um, we have a great fishery on the coast too, but uh, I got into hunting when I was about 20. So it's been two decades, but I still enjoy hunting more than fishing. But, you know, I grew up doing it uh, and yeah. I still I still enjoy it, but it's like, yeah, which kid do you love the most? I, I don't know. <laughs> I kind of love hunting just a little bit more. Yeah. Well, for me, there's also a novelty. Again, I've only been doing it for a couple of years, um, yeah. but uh, I don't know. First deer I shot the sensation of getting, you know, getting the vitals and the crosshairs, pulling the trigger. I'd never felt anything like that before. So it's, mm -hmm. it's a different level for sure. If every fish I caught was like a 10 pound bass, you know, maybe I would get that feeling, but that's only happened once. So yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Got to lower the expectations. I yeah. guess. So your your position, you're the VP of Government Affairs. So I'm assuming you're just there. Your main job is to keep your finger on the pulse of what's going on as far as anti-fishing, 
legislation that could affect our community. Yeah. And, you know, a fair amount of pro fishing legislation too, but um, yeah, so I, we've got a team here. I oversee, um, you know, again, we're in DC, so oversee a lot of federal national policy, but we've got staff all around the country that work on regional state issues too. Um, Part of the challenge with fishing, well, hunting too, there's not like a single law or policy that governs all of it. So you've got Mm -hmm. to keep track of, you know, species by species, region by region. It ends up being, you know, dozens, if not, you know, over a hundred issues that are going on at a given time that we try and keep on top of because collectively they all end up having a big impact on the industry. Mm-hmm. Uh, which manufacturer would you say makes the best lead weights to put in a walleye? Oh my gosh. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I actually hadn't looked around to see whose those were. Um, it certainly got a lot of attention. Whoever oh, it was probably doesn't want to admit it, but yeah, um, yeah not, not, not the best market to be in these days. So, so I'm sure you know more about that than I do, but my buddy used to run just a local Wednesday night bass fishing club tournament on a, a local lake here in the Dallas-Fort Worth area. And even like seven, eight years ago, the winner had to take a polygraph test because, you know, they weren't sticking weights in the fish, but they would catch them the day before and tie them up. And, you know, everyone's trying to gain an unfair advantage. So they started using a polygraph. Did these guys not have to take a polygraph or have they already passed it? Yeah, I didn't uh, I didn't look into it that much, but I am surprised they got away with it for as long as they did. Um, yeah. Either polygraph or, I mean, I don't know. That seems like something that shouldn't be all that hard to catch if you've got multiple fish of the same length being checked in and suddenly one of them or a couple of them are weighing significantly more. Again, I, I don't know how they got away with it for that long. Yeah. Well, I mean, I've caught walleye, but I wouldn't know like what a three pound versus five pound walleye was like, if you showed me a three pound bass and a five pound, I'd be like, that weighs more than that fish. Clearly if the three pounder started weighing five pounds, it would take me one fish to be like, right. So yeah, that especially is when you're checking them one after another. Yeah. I right. don't know that certainly I would think egg on the face of the organizers too, for, you know, what I'm going to had an inside job going on or something. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. I will say I got more like no one in my family or friends understands what I do, but I got uh-huh. more emails and texts about that story than, than anything else. I'm like, yeah, that's not my deal. I don't, I don't mm. do that stuff, but it is interesting. Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, so I recently became aware of some, some pretty harsh restrictions that, are trying to be implemented up and down the Atlantic coast. And it's regarding the protection of the North Atlantic right whale. So I did a little research on this whale, and it seems like there's maybe like 500 of them left in the wild. I think it's 300 and something oh, now. There were 500 okay. like a decade or so ago. They're, mm-hmm. The stock's going downhill. They're, they're not in good shape for sure. And historically, they were commercially hunted. Uh, that's why their numbers initially were dropping and uh, just reading they were a pretty easy target they'd come to the surface and then once they were shot they would float to the surface i don't know if all whales do that i don't know but uh apparently that they they were an easy mark and pretty convenient oh and they were they stayed close to the coastline so didn't have to go too far offshore to find them yeah, I heard recently that they're called the right whale because that's like when the whale hunters were out there, they'd say, all right, that's the right whale. Let's get that one. You know, yeah, that was the yeah. one they were going after. So they were dealt a, you know, a harsh hand historically from a market hunting standpoint, things that we no longer do in North America um, for, you know, all the right reasons. But today it seems like they're trying to cripple 
every other aspect of fishing and recreation that occurs up and down the entire Atlantic coastline. So what, what have they proposed in order to try to protect these remaining whales? Yeah. So again, I mean, there's not many left, you know, mentioned the numbers, there's 300 or so left, only 72, 74 breeding females left. Obviously they're the most important ones because they're the ones that are producing calves to help sustain the population. But yeah, that's just not very many whales left. Um, Mm -hmm. There are existing regulations. So the two biggest sources of mortality from humans are because right whales are facing other challenges in terms of, you know, food supply, warming waters, all that stuff. But from a human standpoint, there are fishing gear entanglements from um, not recreational, but from like lobster and, and crab gear. And they've mm-hmm. got these deep set lines and buoys that their traps are on and whales will get entangled in those. Uh, and then the other is uh, collisions with vessels, generally larger vessels. So there are current from a vessel uh, speed restriction standpoint to try and minimize vessel strikes. There are uh, uh, speed zones off of most of the major ports along the Atlantic coast uh, that are seasonal starting in November, usually go until April or May, that just apply to vessels 65 feet and up. So not many sport fishing boats in that size class, generally larger commercial vessels. Um, the thing is that there still continues to be strikes every now and then. So what's being proposed now is to substantially expand both the range of these areas. So going from you know just off of, I don't know, about six or eight ports off the East Coast, to the entire coast from Massachusetts all the way down to about central Florida uh, for dozens of miles offshore, I think up to 100 miles offshore is the furthest out this goes. And um, for about half the year from November until April or May, depending on which um, part of that zone you're in. And then where this starts to significantly affect the recreational fishing community is it reduces the size that this applies to from 65 feet all the way down to 35 feet and up. And you do start getting into uh, tens of thousands of recreational boats in that class that would um, be affected by this. And the speed, uh, the maximum speed you're allowed to go in this zone during that time period is um, 10 knots, which is about 11 and a half miles an hour. So you can imagine trying to get, you know, a few dozen miles offshore. Um, that doesn't give a whole lot of time for fishing when you're only going 11 and a half miles an hour. When we go red snapper fishing off the Texas coast, we're like 60 miles out. Yep. Yeah, so yeah, six hours out, imagine fish that for would be such yeah. a beating. Well, it would even be, we don't spend the night out there, so it wouldn't even be worth it. No, so that's the challenge. I mean, we've already heard from several boat manufacturers that have orders canceled. Um, yeah, I mean, charter captains that are freaking out because who's going to want to pay to go on a you know six hour boat ride to fish for a couple minutes and then come back in? Yeah, so it would be completely devastating. But you know, from a conservation standpoint, we're both conservationists we got to save these whales, right? I mean, that's the mentality. So, but what's the trade-off? And if you're negatively impacting the entire fishing industry on the entire Atlantic seaboard, well, I don't, I don't know that that's a good thing. It's not a good thing. Yeah. So, I mean, that's the, the, we're struggling with partly, you know, sort of the optics here, because you're exactly right. You know, we're conservationists. We want to protect these whales. It'd be one thing if as a community, this was, a widely recognized, you know, we are clearly contributing to the problem here. You know, there's a, such a frequent occurrence here that we're obviously impacting whales. We got to do something about it. If you look at the numbers, though, since 2008, there have been five strikes uh, of right whales of vessels less than 65 feet. The 
smallest of which was 42 feet. So it mm -hmm. starts to beg the question, why are we talking about 35 feet as the minimum? But anyway, it's an extremely rare occurrence. We've, we've done some numbers and at best, it's a less than one in a million odds of a vessel of this size class hitting a right whale. It's just extremely low occurrence. So it's that trade-off of like, we understand we want to help the whales, but the magnitude of what's being proposed here versus the risk of how rare this is, it just doesn't match up. Mm. So five since 2008. Four of which are in existing speed areas. So at a minimum, we wonder why don't we just look at the existing speed zone? Hell, why don't we just say no boats in those areas? Yeah. Um, <laughs> so, nobody, nobody put a boat in the water in the Atlantic. We got to save the damn whales. Yeah. I mean, at some point, that's sort of what we're looking at. Because, I mean, the fear. So in Canada, they've done this type of speed restriction. Theirs was 42 feet and up. And there continue to be collisions. Whales continue to be plummeting. So, yeah, it's sort of like, you know, if this isn't working, it's not very well enforced. Uh, the strikes still continue to happen. Um, you know, what's next? The next step's going to be <laughs> seriously at some point. All right. Well, let's just stop going in the ocean. No, no more humans out there. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> I'm five. I'm sorry. Just five. And what is that? 15 years almost. Yeah. Is negligible. And so there's another reason why their numbers are declining. And it isn't boats. Yep. So I don't I don't know scientifically, you know, if if you guys have a have an idea of what's going on there. Yeah, I mean, there's um, you know, you mentioned whaling, the historic impacts of that. I mean, there's only 300 some of them left. From what I understand, it's not a particularly genetically diverse population. There's mm -hmm. been a lot of you know inbreeding within you know right whale stuff. Just genetically the, the species isn't in a good place to self-sustain itself just given the historical impacts it's had so there's uh, a fair amount of speculation that it's already a functionally extinct species which is really you know sad and depressing to think about um but you know i think that the numbers we've heard from the national marine fishery services you know, their models say if there is one right whale mortality in a year caused by humans then the stock can't recover so it's Sounds like we're setting up unrealistic expectations to recover the species if it's that threatened yeah. and in that su in such a poor state, um, you know. And again, not to say we shouldn't try, but is it worth shutting down the entire Atlantic coast economy to do that? I think a lot of people would would question whether that's the way to go. Anybody that wouldn't like glue themselves to a tree would probably have the same mindset. I mean, yeah. at some point, common sense has to rule. And I'm sorry about these whales. And you hate to say, well, yeah, because I am a conservationist. I don't want to see any species go extinct. But if it, if, and I'm just going to say it, if a species goes extinct, but we don't shut down an entire coastal, I mean, the entire Atlantic seaboard, like we can't just shut it down for one species. I'm sorry. And that's, yeah. a it sounds terrible and harsh and like, okay, well, you're such a jerk, but that's reality. And well, especially you know, when you know, first, sorry, animals, but that's the way it is. Yeah. I mean, from our standpoint, especially when this is sort of presented like as an all or nothing thing, like either mm -hmm. we shut down all boating in the Atlantic Ocean to save right whales or we do nothing. And like in our minds, like there's got to be something else we can try here. You know, technology, mm -hmm. you know, can we try tagging these whales? There's already a fair number, number of them tagged. Can we put more resources into tagging? Look at real time monitoring of where they're moving. Uh, and when the whales are entering an area, maybe that's when we start looking at some sort of regulations. Um, 
but it, this sort of blanket approach of let's just shut it all down and hope for the best, um, just the level of impact it's going to have versus the, the benefit just seems way over the top. And I mean, we can dig into the analysis that the agency did to come up with this. I mean, there's, and we've submitted a ton of comments and had lawyers and researchers and others look into this. The analysis that they did to come to this conclusion is significantly flawed. Um, the agency is way overestimated whale density, because uh, this is all based off of like computer modeling and risk mm -hmm. assessments and all that stuff. Way overestimated whale density. They've, ass <laughs> they've assumed that all boats 35 to 65 feet have a 10 meter draft, which, you know, you got to find a pretty large boat in that class to even have a two meter draft. So that's all suggesting, oh, we're much more likely to hit whales. Again, there's just some major, major flaws in the analysis they did that significantly overestimate the risks that, that these boats are causing anyway. Which again, if you look at the real numbers, we're talking about five strikes since 2008. Clearly this isn't a significant risk here, but they've um, they've had such a flawed analysis that it's spitting out much greater risk than is actually the case. So again, this doesn't seem like the right approach Let's figure out other options, work together. This, this was sort of sprung on our industry at, in the 11th hour without any consultation. Um, yeah, let's let's figure out other ways to save whales, right. recognizing that the, the odds are stacked against them. But, yeah. yeah, let's let's not go forward with this. Well, we could just maybe stop sp sending so much money to Ukraine and like do a program to like tag the whales. And then I don't know if there's a tech if the technology exists to where so so say we tagged all the whales with some of the Ukrainian money. And we would the techno technology be there to where just the average commercial fisherman could see it on his on his graph? Like there's the where there's the whales. Let's you know be aware that they're here. We'll slow down, and then we'll speed back up once we're past the whales. Uh, I'm confident the answer is yes. Again, if we collaborate with industry, you know, you think of all the marine marine electronic manufacturers out there you know boats of this class are going to have some sort of units whether it's a ais unit or otherwise mm -hmm. to be alerted when there are whales in the area um that's where again being able to collaborate and work together from an industry and regulator standpoint um you got to think that the the amount of impact to the economy that this regulation would cause it's one of those an ounce of prevention versus a pound of cure thing we put some money into technology working together uh, between boaters, industry, and the agency on something like that, you know, an amber alert kind of system for right whales. Um, that's got to be a more effective way to save them than, than what they're proposing here. Yeah. More effective and more, um, you know, efficient from a fiscal standpoint. Well, Mike, I'm, I'm certainly enjoying the conversation uh, a lot more to get into. So let's take a break here. Coming up next, another situation that might affect folks in the Gulf of Mexico, completely different species. Uh, but we'll discuss that among other things, that segment brought to you by Vortex Optics. Here's the cool thing. Uh, I've got a 10% off code for any Vortex Optics, that's rifle scope, binos, rangefinder, you name it, but anything that you find over at eurooptic.com. And they carry all of uh, Vortex's SKUs. So you'll see all of their products over there. Uh, tripods, mounts, all of it. Just use that promo code LONESTAR10 when you check out at eurooptic.com. We'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoor Show. I'm drowning in your love. Some say a silenced gunshot is the baddest sound out there. 
At Silencer Central, we have another favorite. It's the sound of silence delivered to your front door. When you buy from Silencer Central, we handle your application, set you up with a free NFA gun trust, and deliver your silencer straight to you. With an average 90-day turnaround time when you use eForms, buying a silencer is simpler than ever. Visit silencercentral.com and we'll help you get started. Did you know that Orvis has been family-owned since its inception in 1856? Think about that. Uh, they also donate 5% back to protecting nature. Orvis and his customers have raised and donated more than $20 million to protecting nature over the past 25 years. They continue to grow a community of outdoorsmen and women with classes focused on everything from fly fishing to wing shooting and hunting dog handling from basics all the way to advanced. And don't forget about their unique fly fishing and wing shooting trips all over the world. Orvis, proudly American-made fly fishing gear since 1856. Hey guys, Cable here for Cryo and More, your one-stop feel-good shop in McKinney, Texas. You know, the one thing you can't run from is age. And uh, if you still push the envelope pretty hard like I do, you stay a little beat up. And that's where cryotherapy comes into play. A good three to four minutes in the chamber. Well, I'm not going to say you feel brand new, but damn near. It's as good as it gets. I believe in it. I feel rejuvenated every time I go. Check it out. It's Cryo and More in McKinney, Texas. I'm a big fan, and I know you'll love it as well. Turn off the seatbelt sign. Bring me a scotch and a lime. Till I'm high enough to forget. Cause I ain't over Fort Worth yet. Cable Smith, welcome in everybody. I Back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show presented by Mossberg Firearms. Case Harden's over Fort Worth. Love that tune. And Case will be here in studio, I believe, next week. So, uh, yeah, lifelong outdoorsman and singer-songwriter Honky Tonker will join us. Uh, I'm excited about that. Uh, I'm also excited to resume our conversation with ASA VP of Government Affairs, Mike Leonard. First, though, this segment is brought to you by Black Rifle Coffee, America's coffee company. Whether you're looking for a light, medium, or dark roast, whether you like to brew your own, uh, grind your own, or you like a K-cup for the Keurig, they've got it all. Unapologetically patriotic. And you'll save 20% off anything you order at blackriflecoffee.com when you use my promo code LONESTAR20. All right. Uh, well, Mike, thanks for sticking around, man. Certainly appreciate it. I was looking at just like the top 10 endangered whale species. And there's another one on the Pacific side called the North Pacific right whale that's endangered, which I didn't even know right whales were a thing until this came, you know, across my desk, essentially. So it seems like this... I'm sure it's a very close relative of, of the North Atlantic. It just seems like they're not doing very good in 2022. And there's got to be reason. What do these things eat? Uh, I'm not a whale biologist. My understanding is a lot of it's, you know, plankton, krill, um, mm-hmm. which, you know, you get into all the changes that are going on in the ocean, the uh, food web disruptions, all that stuff. You know, part of it is um, impacts to their food supply, sh- shifting ranges of the, of the species that's, Itself as well as the rest of the ecosystem. So um, yeah. they don't seem to be adapting as well to all the changes that's going on. Mm. Uh, there's another species in the Gulf called the rice whale, which you were telling me about. I didn't know that was a thing either. Apparently nobody did until recently. 
yeah, there's only like 50 of them left and we just now discovered them. Um, I think it was, it's sort of a subspecies of, again, I'm not a whale biologist, but yes, just recently discovered this rice's whale, which yeah, there's only 50 or so of them estimated to be left. So there's already a petition to the National Marine Fishery Service to do something similar to what they're proposing in the Atlantic for right whales in terms of speed restrictions for all boats in the entire Gulf of Mexico, prohibitions on oil and gas development, essentially let's shut down the entire Gulf of Mexico because of this whale we just discovered. Um, I'm going to interrupt you because that is the most asinine thing I've ever heard. Well, it's equally as asinine as what they're trying to do on the Atlantic coast. But as a fisherman that's enjoyed many offshore trips in the Gulf of Mexico, those oil rigs are what supports our, marine ecosystem because they're every one of those is its own artificial reef so yes all these quote environmentalists they hate big oil they hate anything that you know impacts potentially they might not even like it just because they think it's an eyesore well guess what i think all of those wind turbines look like crap but yeah they're there and i'm not bitching about it so here we have something that actually creates habitat for say our red snapper fishery which i think if you ask anyone on the Texas coast, the reason why our fishery, a red snapper specifically, is so vibrant is because of all those oil platforms. And so <laughs> let's let's stop doing the thing that gives the fish the habitat for the sake of saving these 50 newly discovered rice whales. Yeah, it's uh, I remember seeing videos of when they because the federal government was forcing them to be de decommissioned, decommissioning some of these oil rigs, uh, using explosives. And I mean, it's just the saddest. The, the, num the amount of fish biomass that's living on those that ends up getting, you know, decimated when they come down. I mean, yeah, it's, mm -hmm. it's, a, it's a mecca of marine life that gets created. Of course, that's where the best fishing takes place, too. So yeah. um, it's certainly provided some significant uh, marine ecosystem benefits to have all that structure out there. And it's such a weird conundrum as like a conservationist saying, well, basically, sorry about you, whales. The rest of the fishery off the Texas coast is more important than 50 whales. I'm sorry. That's the way it is. What's more important? What's pumping money into the economy? Oil, red snapper, or these 50 whales? And, you know, at some point, you just have to be a realist and say, yeah, this, this time in history might not work out for you. And it sucks to say that. And it, and it's, I think it's the thing that everyone struggles with. And it's kind of a bad look that you mentioned the optics of it, but it's, it, we have to live in reality at the end of the day. Yeah. Let's say, you know, our positions, and maybe I'm just naive about this is, yeah, let's, you know, accept the reality of the, the dire situation that some of these species are in, but the response shouldn't be, and this is often what we see, it's just this reactionary, let's shut everything down and yeah. just hope for the best, you know, like, you know, we're in, 2022, there's significant technology research. You mentioned earlier, there's a lot of money being thrown out at a lot of different causes. You know, if these species are as important to society as some people make them out to be, like they are. they're so important, we didn't know they existed. Yeah, they're so important, we didn't know existed. <laughs> and our solution is going to be, you know, let's not figure out the right way to balance things out. Let's just shut everything down. Like, let's work together, you know, collaborate. Industry can, you know, help especially if the alternative is shutting things down, like let's figure out how to avoid in real time using technology, research, et cetera, um, ways to you know, at least try to coexist as opposed to just this reactionary, you know, again, let's shut everything down and yeah. you know, hope well, for the best. Even if we didn't tag them all, 
because that would be a, a huge undertaking, probably very expensive. And well, it seems like our government will spend money on anything else before they would undertake a worthwhile endeavor like this. Um, but there's got to be a way where if you see the whales, like a captain sees the whales, he could mark it on something and share that with everybody, you know? Yeah. On so the very rare be... instance that a captain sees a whale. I mean, that's part of it is, you know, you hear from all sorts of captains on the Atlantic coast. They're like, you know, I've been doing this for 30 years. I've never seen a right whale in my life. And now you want me to <laughs> fundamentally change the way my business operates off of in 30 years of experience, a thing I've ne- that's never happened to me before. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it, it wouldn't be easy to find these 50 animals in the entire Gulf of Mexico, but, um, talk about trade-offs, the trade-offs are shutting everything down. Yeah. There's a will, there's a way. Well, interesting conversation. It's, it's one of those tough ones that I think when people really look at the facts, it's like, oh, yeah, that, that sucks for the whales. Um, and, and I hate even saying it, like I mentioned, but I don't, I don't know. Like, like you said, there's gotta be other ways to try to we're not throwing in the towel. We're not giving up, but we are going to be except what's might happen. Yeah. So, um, well, interesting conversation. I appreciate the time, Mike. Yeah, no, I appreciate that. And I guess just one last thing on the whale, right whale thing. So just from the timeline here. So this rule was proposed over the summer. There's been a public comment period that just closed yesterday, actually uh, on Halloween. Um, that said, I don't know that that's going to be the end of it. You know, I would imagine this is likely to end up in the courts um, from either one the environmental community or from the boating and recreational fishing community. So anyway, point being that that one's, you know, TBD on how it ends up getting resolved. And yeah, it's a terrible interviewer. I should have asked you that. So and, and I also want to ask you, who's behind the proposal? Like, so, it, you know, there's been environmental groups petitioning the National Marine Fisheries Service on it, but the rule itself came from, you know, Office of National Marine, the National Marine Fisheries Service Office of Protected Resources. And, you know, in meeting with folks over there, they, you know, there's some true believers over there that want to do everything they can to save the whales. And that's sort of what we're, what we're up against here. So it is entirely from the federal government. Although, again, there are a lot of environmental groups pushing this from the outside, too. Yeah, it, it's not too different then you know you compare it to they say the the grizzly bear who's recovered in the greater yellowstone ecosystem biologists are saying we need a hunting season like right now is the time where people are in the woods elk and mule deer hunting and you keep seeing these attacks increase human grizzly conflict so let's just say that you know the grizzly bear is more important than human life well i like grizzlies as much as anybody but i'm going to tell you that no humans are the real apex predator that's why we have the ability to hunt grizzlies and have a season and manage their population so that you know we have a handle on it and that they don't decline but also they can coexist with us peacefully this is the same mentality put the animals first at all costs who cares about the economy who cares about the lives affected of up and down an entire seaboard from what did you say maine to florida yeah massachusetts to Central part of Florida. Yeah. It's just ludicrous. So, yeah, anyway. wildlife management gets yeah. complicated, especially when people start, you know, picking which which species are more important than others and which we view as, you know, charismatic and therefore deserving to be protected. And, you know, messy business. What, so, what's happened on the national level is they've let PETA or HSUS or some other animal welfare organization infiltrate. I mean, that's how uh, those people have that mindset, right? 
in Texas, there's this group called Texans from Outlines who's petitioning Texas Parks and Wildlife for all these um, pretty radical changes in mountain management here with quotas and um, anti-trapping proposals. And then but they're, they're one of their, their six things that they included in their petition was they wanted to form a stakeholder advisory board to Texas Parks and Wildlife on mountain lions. Like there's some authority on the subject, which they're not. And they don't have any skins on the wall. They're just animal rights activists disguised. Some of them will tell you they're hunters. But one of the, one of the, in the text on their website, when they're pr- saying they want to propose this uh, advisory board council to Texas Parks and Wildlife, they said, we want to have these types of organizations represented. And one of the types was animal welfare organizations. So basically PETA, Center for Wildlife or for Biological Diversity, HSUS. Why would you ever, if you're pro-hunting, which funds conservation across the board and fishing too? I mean, they anglers paid the Pittman-Robertson tax just like hunters do. Why would you ever let the the wolf have a seat at the table? Like, mm-hmm. that's how you know. Like, that's that's how this this that's how this that's the origin of this problem in our country. And, and not just in our country, but you let animal welfare organizations have a seat at the table, have a voice, they get an inch, and then they just keep kicking until that door is completely kicked in. Yep. You could do a whole, um, and you probably have, a whole other episode on that topic of the makeup yeah. and who's influencing state wildlife agencies and commissions. I mean, if you look at like California, I don't know that there's a single true hunter angler on the California Fish and Wildlife Commission. Um, it's happening on the West Coast. It's starting to happen in Texas, like that's serious alarm bells going off there. Um, But yeah, that's seriously undermining the ability for these agencies to manage fish and wildlife um, using science and using sportsmen as, you know, the the trusted um, partners and all this. So, yes, it is. um, It is a very slippery slope that we're heading down. Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. So um, thanks for for including that there as we were wrapping things up. If you want to give all of y'all's contact information. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. Yeah. So, you know, again, ASA, we're the trade association. So as much as we love the individual angler, um, we point folks to, we have an angler advocacy website called keepamericafishing.org. And on things like the right whale vessel speed restriction, whenever there's bills or regulations coming up that affect fishing, either nationally or in your part of the country, we have an action center where, you know, we make it easy in just a few clicks that you can contact the decision makers, members of Congress, whoever it might be. So, um, yeah, and we're active on all the major social media channels, uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, all this. So, yeah, go to uh, Keep America Fishing or search for us and, um, you know, sign up. It's free, easy. We don't spam you, any of that stuff. But it's a way to keep track of this and the, the many other issues that are going on around the country that affect uh, fishing rights and fishing access. Right on, right on. And, I, you know, I do a lot of... Uh interviews with groups like SCI and Sportsman's Alliance and Howl for Wildlife. And they're more on the hunting side of things. So it's nice to, uh, you know, take this to the the fishing community. And essentially you guys are doing the same thing. Um, I mean, you're, like we said, your position is VP of government affairs. So thanks for doing that for our community. It's very important. And- yeah, absolutely. Yeah. It's, and we collaborate a lot with those hunting groups, even though if we're not working on the exact same issue, sometimes mm-hmm. there is overlap, but um, it seems like the, the threats, like what you were talking about in terms of animal rights interests and others, you know, it's, it's a little bit further down the track on the hunting side, but it's coming on the fishing side too. You know, we deal yeah. with things like 
Goliath group of regulations where it's the same mentality of, hey, these are special and we don't want you to ever interact with them or kill them. So it's come into fishing, you know, we're maybe a decade or two behind what's going on in the hunting side. So it's always useful to collaborate and at least share notes because um, the yeah. same issues are affecting both communities, just maybe at different timelines. Right. Right. Absolutely. Well, hey, Mike, thanks again for your time. Certainly appreciate it, man. Yeah, absolutely. Thanks for having me on. Have to come back there, yeah, hopefully hope on a more a great... positive subject down the road. I hope you have a great whitetail season. Yeah, appreciate it. Right. That's positive. We'll end on that. There you go. Yep. <laughs> Shoot that big buck. All right. All right, buddy. Thanks. Take care. Yep. So there you have it. Mike Arnold, VP of Government Affairs for the American Sport Fishing Association. Great stuff there. Uh, that segment of the show brought to you by SCI, the worldwide leader in big game conservation, whether it's internationally or domestically. SCI continues to be the voice of reason for you and I as hunters and conservationists. So if you want to be a part of a great group that is dedicated to protecting your rights and helping to educate the non-hunting public on why what we do is conservation, then head over to safariclub.org to join our ranks today. We'd love to have you. All right, coming up next, we check in with a longtime friend of the show. She's been all over God's creation, hunting this and that so far this fall. Mossberg's Linda Powell joins us next on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show. But all the smoke and the neon keep his pain here. Oh, nobody knows the honky-tonky. It's time to tell you about Protect Products, veteran-owned and made in the USA. Protect makes your water work harder for you in the field. They have a hydration electrolyte formula for endurance and replenishment. It's perfect for elk hunting, right? Uh, energy formula for when you need an extra kick. Immunity for optimizing the immune system. And one of my favorites, the rest formula to ensure deep sleep and proper recovery. All the formulas are liquid, so they mix instantly in your water bottle or camelback. And the cool thing is... They don't gunk them up like a powder with that messy residue. They also have an easy-to-use line of mineral sunscreen for quick and odorless application and all-day protection in the field. For more info, head over to protect.com to see their entire lineup. That's protect, P-R-O-T-E-K-T.com. Cable here, and if you're like me, you probably enjoy bold flavors and cuisines. And nobody does Cajun and Creole better than Chris's Specialty Foods in Frisco. Their forte includes specialty sausages, boudins, and andouille, pre-cooked soups, gumbos, and sides, where all you have to do is heat it up. What about high-quality steaks, smoked and fried turkeys, turduckins, and turduckin rolls for the holidays, plus gift boxes. Storefront conveniently located off Dallas Parkway in Frisco, or shop online at chrisspecialtyfoods.com and have it delivered to your door. Smith, welcoming everybody back into SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by the good folks over at Mossberg Firearms. Thanks for being here. Uh, this segment of the show brought to you by Stealth Cam and the Reactor wireless cell camera. You can pick one up for like, gosh, the price has fallen out. Like the bottom's fallen out on these cell cams. I remember eight, nine years ago, they were like 400 bucks. You can get one for 130 bucks now or even cheaper. Uh, but find the Reactor 
at your local tractor supply or just head over to stealthcam.com. Pick one up for yourself today. Start getting live images sent right to your cell phone. Okay, uh, well, let's bring on our next guest, longtime friend of the show. It's my pleasure to welcome Mossberg's Linda Powell back to the program. Thanks, Cable. Good to see you as well. My pleasure. So you've been on the road a lot this fall, <laughs> uh, just traveling all over. It's uh, it's that good time of year. And I mean, this hunting season, it's about like I've been here. I'm about to start going. You're just coming back. So where have you been? Where have your travels taken you? I know you went to Saskatchewan on a duck hunt for sure, which I want to hear about, but uh, where else have you been? Yeah, well, I was actually kind of down in your neck of the woods. I was in uh, south, Southwest Texas over in the Alpine region. I did a, uh, a free ranging scimitar oryx hunt. It was great. Uh, I hadn't had that experience before and they're pretty skittish animals. I was surprised yeah. at how tough it was when we got there the first day. I'm thinking we had six hunters and I'm thinking this, this isn't going to happen, but uh, we pulled it off and um, just, just a great hunt. So I didn't even know we had free ranging scimitars out. And th- I mean, sometimes they, you'll see them in the hill country, they get out. Right. Just like our axis deer or black buck or whatever, but I didn't know we had uh, free ranging scimitar horn works out there. So that's interesting. Yeah, it's uh, it was on a, a ranch. It's the, um, I believe if I'm correct, I think it's the O2 ranch. Okay. Oh, near Alpine. And uh, it may be one of the only free ranging one in the areas that the ranch is 250,000 acres. So, uh, so small, even though yeah. there are some fences, <laughs> uh-huh. yeah. they pretty much have free range of that ranch. <laughs> mm-hmm. Right. And, well, and you know, you, you look at like New Mexico and they have a very close relative of the scimitar. They have the, the gemsbuck. Right. Uh, and they have free ranging herds there. Um, like I actually had a guy in a couple of years ago that shot one out by white sands. Yes. Yeah. Um, which is, you know, that's, I went there as a kid and we did like slid down the sand dunes in laundry baskets. It was like a family vacation. That sounds like fun. <laughs> yeah. But that's been like a missile testing area for that's forever. Right. Yeah, you have to apply for those, and if you draw a permit, then yeah, it's open to hunt. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, what caliber did you take? Because uh, I've shot, I've shot one Oryx scimitar, and I'm gonna guess it weighed not as big as an elk, but probably 450 pounds. Yeah. And I used a uh, actually used a muzzle loader just for fun on that one. Um, but but they're big animals. So, what did you take? Well, I actually took the six five PRC. Okay. Um, most of the people in our group took. Uh, we had a couple with three hundred wind mags. I mean, they are a tough animals, so you definitely want uh, want to make sure that you choose the right rifle and cartridge combination. Yeah. But um, a couple of people had three hundred eight, so we kind of used that range. Right. Right on. Uh, and did you get it? Did it drop in one shot, or did you have to shoot it multiple times? You know, I actually had to shoot it twice. Uh, but, uh, the second one was very decisive. The, the first one, I probably need not quite the right placement, but when I got the second one in, it was an immediate drop. So that was good to see. Uh, I don't know if you guys ate any of the meat in camp, but they're, oh, oh they're delicious too. I- incredible. Yes. I'm, I'm waiting for my shipment of meat, but I'm excited about that. And I was going to ask you about that because, you know, people that travel a lot, they, a lot of times kill more meat, kill, kill more animals and therefore 
have more meat than they could ever eat. And sometimes when people travel, they don't, and especially if you're having to ship it back, like, uh, (laughs) for example, I didn't, I didn't ship the axis deer that I shot in Hawaii back to Texas. Like, you know, logistically way too expensive. I can shoot an axis deer in the hill country, put that in my freezer. We just, I just donated that to the camp essentially feed their next clients with it. Right. Um, doesn't go to waste, but yeah, I was curious because that's a lot of meat from a, it is. Now, I'm not, I'm not having, I'll ship just what you said, you know, the logistics, the cost of it. But I, I do have a good friend in Texas who said she'd be willing to drive over and pick up any that I didn't have shipped. So I'm having one big cooler shipped to me and then she's, she's getting the rest. But nice. I'm always about just what you said, sharing it with friends or donating it uh, either to the camp. A lot of times there's local agencies that can accept it for, um, you know, food banks and, and homeless shelters. So oh, yeah. We, we have a great, a great program, yeah. Hunters for the Hungry right. in Texas, which a lot of, especially places where you have a strict management plan, you need to kill X number of does every year. This is what the biologist recommends. Then they, they'll load up a trailer yeah. and take yeah. it to a processor, which they'll donate to Hunters for the Hungry. Um, oh, the, the time that I shot a moose in Newfoundland, uh, or they say Newfoundland. They don't like when you say Newfoundland. <laughs> yeah, heathens. Uh, I obviously had that shipped home. That was, I mean, that was the really the trophy. That's and right. I, I shot that thing in 2017, and I'm making chili from it today. I still have. So I had to buy a whole other freezer for the damn thing. <laughs> That's, yeah. That is a problem, isn't it? <laughs> a good problem to have, yeah. But they just put it... So they have clients from all over the United States. Yes. And... What they do is they just put it on a uh, a frozen truck, right? And then they have certain cities, maybe like eight cities in the U.S. And that truck just you know goes from city to city. Dallas happened to be one of them, which is thirty minutes from me, so super convenient. And they said, "Yeah, your meat will be there around January fifth, like January third. I get a call, your meat's here." So it was perfect. I'm wondering if we hunted with the same outfitter because I, I did the same thing. I thought it was a great arrangement. Uh, did you go with our luck? No, not different no. outfitter, but okay. Well, it could have they might use the same trucking service. Yeah, but I thought it was brilliant. You know, they yeah. just took it right now, made it very affordable. So. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so where else have you been? So you went to West Texas. Yep. Did a little waterfowl hunting, as you said, and I've got some more of that coming up. I've got uh, I've still got three more waterfowl hunts this season. Huh. Um, Kansas deer hunts. So still lots of travel to go and um, out to gun site too for a uh, media event. So right, right. And that was such rugged country, uh, that part of West Texas, and just uh, again incredible animal, difficult to hunt, uh, difficult to knock down, and um, just just really. You'd think that they would have to be pretty wary because they don't have a very good camouflage system. No. <laughs> There's not a lot of animals that we hunt that are just like white with, yeah. you know, the upper body is, tar- is beautiful. Well, I don't like burnt orange because I'm a Baylor fan and burnt orange reminds right, me of ET, yeah. but <laughs> it's, I'm look- I have one right here I'm looking at. Uh, and yeah, it's just absolutely stunning, but they stick out like a sore thumb. They do. Spotting them is easy. Mm-hmm. Getting them is harder. Right, right. <laughs> Um, okay, well, I want to talk about something that just came out, yeah. and that is the seven millimeter PRC, That's which right. I have, I think, two Mossberg seven mags. So the first question is going to be, well, okay, seven mm PRC, 
versus seven mag. What's really the difference here? Well, and you know, again, I'm not a ballistic person as far as the- I know, but I always put you on the spot. But no, that's that's okay. You know, and talking to Hornaday and reading their information. So what you're getting is actually a match grade cartridge that gives you consistent, reliable accuracy, Uh but also outperforms all of the existing seven millimeters out there. And you're also going to get longer barrel life because seven millimeters are known to be a little bit hard on the barrels. Uh So I think, you know, what you're getting again is just, again, just a slight improvement of what's already out there, but it's enough to to justify introducing the cartridge. So, and I haven't looked at the ammo options. I don't know if we're pumping Uh a, you know, up to 180 grain bullet or... Where, so, where and I've, I've got, a, I've got, you know, just a sheet here from them. What we were shooting, I, I've shot a little bit, but it's all been at the range so far, 175 grain. Okay. And that's comparable to, they're saying it outperforms the Nosler, the seven millimeter STW and the Rim Mag. I think I typically with the, with my seven mag, which I'm, I love the seven mag. Uh, I think I typically shoot 162 grain bullet. So 180, you're getting you're getting more payload there and probably coming out a little faster. Faster, Yeah. I I will say this. I've had it at two range events uh, in the last few weeks. And we were talking about shooting it out of our Patriot Predator, which is a rifle that's price point about $450. Mm -hmm. We were shooting six to 850 yards consistently without any issue. Very, Very very flat shooting, very accurate. Uh, and that was across a wide range of shooters. So, what about uh, the availability of ammo in this caliber? Well, I mean, currently Hornady is going to be the only one offering it. I mean, I know they're pumping it out because we're not the only manufacturer that's building rifles either. So they're mm-hmm. putting their money behind it, you know, to get it out in the field. Um, I do plan to take it. I'm coming back to Texas, in fact, to the ranch where we hunted turkeys this spring to uh, do a nail guy hunt. Nice. January, and this is the rifle we're going to use because I really think that'll be a great test for it. Yeah. Well, you'll have to tell Lyndall High. We uh, probably be back out there this spring for sure. But man, what a place. I know. Um, incredible. Hunting free ranging nil guy out there, which those are tough. I shot mine and at like 75 yards, yep. and we didn't find it for three hours. Oh, yeah. It was dead. Crazy. Yeah. But I mean, like they can eat some lead <laughs> yes, and it didn't bleed a lot. I was very surprised about that, but thank God we found it. Cause man, talk about just like the orcs, absolutely phenomenal table fare. Yeah. Well, Linda, let's take a quick break here. I want to come back and, and discuss where we're at as a firearm manufacturing community right now. Has the supply caught up to the demand? And then uh, what's the latest with the... MC2SC because I hear there's a great deal going on there Um, that segment brought to you by NUMA gear for the outdoors we'll be right back on the Lone Star Outdoors show Counting buddy out towards Monroe said he caught some hogs and trade for Marinshine today there's a party up ahead an angel to my right I took my hand If you're looking for a thermal hog hunt near DFW, then Three Curl Outfitters has you covered. Offering fully guided thermal hunts just minutes south of Dallas, 
guide Scout daily to put you on the bacon. Using thermal imaging technology to hunt feeders, crop fields, and river bottoms, you get unlimited hogs and no kill fees. Visit www.3curl.com. Also offering corporate hunts and food and lodging available by request. Book at 3curl.com or call 214-455-0940. In the market for a compact track loader? Check out the Bobcat Advantage, where Bobcat track loaders squared off against other brands in a variety of tests and challenges. Whether you're looking for performance advantages, uptime protection, or quality design, Bobcat Compact Track Loaders are the best-built machines in the industry. But don't take our word for it. Watch the videos at BobcatAdvantage.com or see Bobcat machines in person at one of our nine North Texas locations. Visit BobcatOfNorthTexas.com or call 469-586-0000 today. Hey, this is Kevin Van Dam, and you're listening to the Lone Star Outdoor Show. Amarillo by morning. Up from San Antonio, everything that I got is just what I've got on. When that sun is high in that Texas, there's a classic from the King himself, George Strait, bringing us back on SCI's Lone Star Outdoor Show, presented by Mossberg Firearms. Cable Smith here with you. Thanks for dropping by as we are still visiting with uh, Mossberg Firearms. Linda Powell, before we wrap up that discussion, though, this segment proudly brought to you by Big and J, Whitetail Attractants, and the good folks at Rustic Reminders Taxidermy. Okay, uh, well, Linda, let's discuss the 940 Pro Waterfowl. Well, just the 940 series in general, but uh, duck season is here. I just took that gun Sandhill Crane Hunting last weekend. Just absolutely still in love with this thing. Um Phenomenal feel, cycles beautifully, shoulders wonderfully, and you don't have to clean it. It's uh, it's awesome, but I do wonder if the uh, supply has caught up to the demand. You know, that is still a challenge, and it's interesting. I was at uh, a sales meeting last week and kind of got an update on the status of orders, and just to give your viewers a little bit of an idea, we currently still have a backlog of about a year's production. Now, mm. that doesn't mean on every model or every skew, but if you take the total number of orders we have, that's kind of what we're still dealing with. Still a combination of just lots of orders over the past few years. You know, we're running into those supply chain issues. Raw materials are really tough to get right now, mm. and we've been trying to increase our sources for that. What we're hearing from our sales guys are, though, every 940 that goes on the dealer's shelf pretty much is sold immediately. It's not a gun that you're going to see sitting around on the shelf. So if you see one and you're interested in it, at this point, I tell you, you probably better buy it. Um, right. We're building them every day, but we still don't have enough in the pipeline that they're sitting around on the shelves. And this isn't specific to Mossberg. I mean, my friends, uh, Kent Cartridge, and they'll tell you, they're still like looking at a year or two just to get caught up. Yeah. It's just to get caught up. Right. Yeah. It's insane. Uh, but I, I think that, you know, ammunition is starting to you just go to Academy or whatever. You're starting to see over the last six to eight months, it's starting to show up more. Um, some of the stores have listed, lifted their restrictions on how many boxes you can buy. Right. Which I, I did. I, I know a guy, I don't, I'm not saying it was me. <laughs> There was a guy I heard about that went into Academy and bought his a lot, you know, his two boxes he was allowed to buy and then went to his truck and took his hat off and went back in and 
he bought two more boxes. So I heard. So you heard, huh? <laughs> yeah. yeah. yeah okay. no, no, I'd say don't don't get discouraged. I mean, the 940 is is truly our flagship all over now. We're putting a lot of emphasis behind it, and you'll see more models coming out as we move into the new year. So, um, you know, just just be patient. We're building them as fast as we can. Oh, and I absolutely love it. Uh, took it dove hunting. I think I took the new dog dove hunting five times so far this year. Yeah, that gun just cycles perfectly, shoulders beautifully. You know that I haven't cleaned it. Oh, no. <laughs> Me neither. I don't. I'll, I'll tell you, and I, I don't think we spoke since I went to Argentina over the summer. Uh-uh. And so I did six days of shooting. And it's the first time that I've taken a shotgun and not come home bruised and beat up because I can make that 940 fit me. And it was just such a pleasure to shoot, but then also not come home and feel like I've been battered. <laughs> right. Um, what, uh, what outfitter, where did you go in Argentina? I'm, I'm uh, considering actually, going two, down there. Two areas, uh, the Cordoba for doves. And then we went south of there for pigeons and um, parakeets. Uh, and I have fallen in love Pigeons are now my new thing. Mm. Uh, it's just for people who haven't done it, think of it as dry land waterfowl hunting. So you put out the decoys and they and you, you know, are in a blind and they come in just beautifully to the decoys. And they I really do nothing but pigeons. Uh, there's places here in North Texas where if you're, you know, close enough to the city limits, you can get into pigeons pretty easily. And it doesn't happen all the time, but there's times when you just get a whole flock of them and they just come right to the mojo and they don't, oh. they're a lot slower than, and bigger the dove. than a morning dove. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. That's why I prefer them. <laughs> right. Right. But, uh, we also have a, a pretty cool promotion going on with the uh, MC2. Yeah. So just like to remind people of that, that's kind of been going on for a few months now, but it's through the end of December. If you buy one of our MC2 pistols, either the subcompact or the compact version, and send in the information from your sale, you actually get a free black arch holster to go with it, roughly a $50 value. So uh, that's a nice addition to, to add to your pistol. And what is the MSRP on the gun itself? On the gun itself, ranges whether you get them with just the regular uh Three white dot sites and the night sites, they range from about five hundred to six hundred dollars. Mm-hmm. Uh okay. I think there was there was one other thing I was gonna ask you. I just can't oh, I had a buddy recently, uh, a good duck hunting friend of mine, ask me about the old 3030 that we used to make. And I have one. I killed my mountain lion with it. It's in the gun safe. I was like, Yeah, it's still on the website, but I don't know. Uh I don't think they make it anymore. No, yeah. you know, we're going to break a few hearts here, but we discontinued our line of lever actions. Not that there was any reason other than we're really simply trying to streamline the number of guns that we're offering. Gets back to that beast of trying to manage production in the back. Mm-hmm. And we really just trimmed down our line to focus on core products. And not that we didn't like being in that lever action category, but it wasn't a top seller for us. Mm-hmm. And so by eliminating some of the products like that, um, we're able to increase production on other guns. I was like, I'm looking at the prices on these 3030s. I don't, a Henry or something is going to cost me like nine hundred, a thousand dollars. He was so he found it on the website. He was like, under five hundred bucks. Yeah, I want, I want this. And then I was like, yeah, buddy, I don't 
think you're going to be able to find one of those. <laughs> yeah, the only thing I can say sometimes, and, and I know there's some talk going on now, specific dealers mm-hmm. do a special run or special make. So it's very possible that we'll bring it back in limited numbers. Uh-huh. But uh, for now, it's not a standard catalog offering. Yeah, well, that's that's too bad. But Pretty I understand <laughs> it's like, you know, it's supply and demand and people want these other items. Right. And so as a company, you have to make those hard decisions to, yeah. you know, we can, we can make sell a thousand of these 30 thirties or 10,000 of, you know, X, whatever caliber <laughs> in the Patriot, <laughs> yeah, Patriot. put our energy there. Uh, no, it makes complete sense. Um, I'm just going to see, see, I was going to tell you where I'm going next. I, uh, I just booked a trip to, and I think you've hunted in Mexico before. Quite a bit. I love going to Mexico. I never have. Okay. So I am going with a buddy who is actually Mexican. He's gone okay. to Africa with me twice. So, I, you know, my concern was, is it safe? And he, you know, going with him who who's hunted the Sonora area many, many times, right. uh, you know, I feel very comfortable. Um, but yeah, we're going for mule deer. So super excited about that. It's exciting. Uh, like, this year, January. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, J- January. Yeah. yeah. So I, there's a ranch that I hunt, hunt on down there that I hunt uh, the coos deer, bulls, turkeys. Um, just incredible. I have a lot of people that have told me I wouldn't even think about going to Mexico. But to be honest with you, you know, I think you just have to be smart about it. Mm-hmm. Uh, I always travel with my guide and outfitter. He meets us on the U.S. side. We drive across, so he escorts us through customs and everything else to get our guns in go straight to the ranch and we stay on the ranch. You know, we don't go out in the local towns and communities. Mm. I've never had any concerns. Um, I love people, the food, the culture, and the hunting's incredible. So, you know, I'd rather go there than a lot of major cities in the U.S. <laughs> right. <laughs> yeah, well, I'm ex- really excited about that. And they have some some very nice genetics as far as their, their mule deer herd is Absolutely. concerned. On it. I'm a little jealous of that. I haven't hunted do. mule deer down there. Do what? I haven't hunted mule deer, so I'm a little jealous down there. Yeah. Well, I will I will certainly keep you posted on that. Um, as always, Linda, it's a great, it's great to catch up. Thank you so much for your time today. <clears throat> Y'all check out the new uh seven millimeter PRC. I haven't shot it yet, but uh, you know, just pick up a magazine and read about it and you can you know that it's a tack driver and it, yeah. it, it hits pretty hard. So that's exciting. And uh, thanks again for your time. You bet. We'll talk soon. All righty. Thanks. So there she goes, our longtime friend of the show and uh, hunting buddy, Linda Powell of Mossberg Firearms. Always great checking in with Linda. Uh, unfortunately, we are out of time. Got to go. Got to get out of here. Got to get my ass in that big chingon, Henry and I are headed to the deer lease, uh, maybe get him a management buck, or uh, if that 10-point I've had my eye on steps out during the day, he's been pretty much nocturnal of late, uh, then who knows, maybe I'll get lucky as well. Uh, but you can find big chingon, that's uh, a roomy, cozy, comfortable, elevated box blind right there at allseasonsfeeders.com, nice and warm. Lots of room. Uh, thanks to Linda, as well as our other guest today, Mike Leonard of the American Sport Fishing Association. Thanks to all of our sponsors for making this show possible. Thanks to you, the listener, for being a part of SCI's Lone Star Outdoors show. Until next time, 
I'm Cable Smith saying, y'all have a great week in the outdoors. You won't make no mistake, and your nerves are never shaky. You should taste her layer cake, say that's what I like about the South.